Matthew 21 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Um, I want to, before we get into the sermon, uh, just give a little personal invite to Lent. Um, with uh, traditions, Christians always need to be uh, wise and careful, because uh, even for Christians, it's easy to turn traditions into something they're not supposed to be. Um, but nevertheless, in church history, uh, the, a, a season called Lent has developed, and it can serve, it has served me um, and to really enrich my relationship with Christ uh, and to deepen my faith in Him. Uh, and, and so I hope you caught some of uh, the message of that little video that the focus should be about Christ. But if you're not familiar with Lent, it symbolizes Jesus' 40 days in the desert. Uh, and so the church has traditionally uh, fasted something uh, for uh, Monday to uh, Saturday for the uh, 40 Monday to Saturday days leading up to Easter uh, and breaking that fast on Sundays. Uh, and so that totals uh, not it totals exactly 40 days. And so it begins this Wednesday. And for me personally, uh, Lent has been meaningful because uh, I've allowed Lent to become a time uh, to intentionally order my affections. Uh, if you were with us last week, um, you saw that Jesus, he was really dealing with uh, the rich young man's affections, his heart. 
and uh, what his heart was attached to. And we saw, sadly, at least in, in the passage, that he was more attached to his possessions and his riches. Uh, the Christian life, just like anything else good and healthy, there, there are good, healthy disciplines in life, and the Christian life certainly involves um, healthy disciplines, just like healthy exercise, healthy eating, healthy time management, and so forth. And so Lent, with the right attitude and the right motive, can be a great time to intentionally embrace a discipline. Uh, maybe it is to just go with sort of the traditional way of choosing something to fast so that, as the saying goes, that we can feast more on Christ, to intentionally just draw more of our thoughts and time and just in Scripture, meditating on Him. And it's a good buildup to uh, really celebrating Easter. Um, of course, as Christians, we celebrate Easter every Sunday, that's what the Lord's Day is. We remember that he rose again from the dead. And so really every Sunday is meant to be a joyous day. Uh, but also not every Sunday, but every day. Um, Christ followers are meant to carry the reality of Christ's incarnation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection in our hearts, and even his ascension uh, and longing for him to return in our hearts every day. But nevertheless, just the way we're wired up as human beings, uh, we need those focused times of of discipline and focus again. So uh, all that to say, just a personal invite uh, to Lent and to observe it. Uh, if you have more questions about how to observe it, uh, you can uh, reach out to me uh, in the email that will come up at the end of the service, and we'd be more than happy to help you navigate all that. So today, as we continue through uh, Matthew 20, uh, verses 1 to 16 in the Gospel of Matthew, I've entitled the passage as a question, uh, do I really understand and have I really received God's grace? And I also considered uh, entitling it, do I think that God's grace is fair? Is God's grace fair? Um, to get us into a certain mindset as we get into the sermon then, um, I want to just share uh, two near brushes with death. Um, in my own life. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but now you will know. Every time I cook and I see a pot lid knob, um, and oftentimes when I drive through a neighborhood intersection, uh, my heart actually spontaneously gets filled with uh, gratitude. Uh, gratitude for life, gratitude for God. Why? Because apparently when I just started crawling um, around you know, just over one years old, uh, my mother came upon me one day and my face was completely blue. And uh, her story is she just cried out to God and she had the wherewithal, the wisdom to just strap me over her uh, knees and then just smack my back and a little pot lid knob came out. And uh, I had crawled around and there was a pot lid knob that had fallen to the ground and just like any normal baby I started putting my mouth and I was choking on it and that was my first near brush with death. Uh, the picture on the right that you see is actually from uh, Google Maps Street View and uh, my house uh, growing up was just on the right side and around 10 or 11 years old I was playing cops and robbers on, on the bikes with the neighborhood kids and I was racing up the left-hand side uh, sidewalk. And just with 11-year-old kid intelligence and brilliance and wisdom, <laughs> as I was looking back at uh, the cops that were chasing me, 
uh, I thought to myself, if there's a car coming, uh, I'll be able to hear it, and I'll stop. And I didn't hear anything. I just raced through the intersection, and uh, I just, in a split second, I found myself just flying through the air, and I landed on the ground. And thankfully, I T-boned the timing of it all. I T-boned the car, um, and I was spared. But another near brush with life or death. Now, my point is, here are things that I see every day, and my heart gets spontaneously filled with gratitude. These are two things in my life that have forever shaped my life and just elicit deep gratitude. Now, when we come to today's passage, I think Jesus wants to shake up his followers' thinking and leave them with a story that is meant to change them forever. Uh, that every time we reflect on this story, uh, he wants to give us and his followers something that we will be forever grateful for, even beyond uh, being spared life on this earth. And so I hope you'll listen that you know, closely for that. Uh, just to put our minds again into just more frame, uh, just a frame of mind for this passage, you know we have some English football fans here. And so I want to imagine that your team at the end of the season is at the top of the table. And as they're about to hand out that glorious trophy, who they actually call up is the team at the very bottom of the table. And they declare that team, the team at the very bottom of the table, not your team at the top of the table, the champion. Or let's say you've uh, landed a great new job, dream job, and you go, uh, let's say you're young and it's an entry-level work, but you're so grateful. And then they come to you, management comes to you on your first day and says, hey, we have an update on your salary. <laughs> you're actually going to get paid the same as the CEO. Like, what? <laughs> right? Or imagine you are the CEO. You land this top position at this company. You go first day, and management comes. We have an update on your contract. Uh, you're actually going to get paid the same amount as uh, the average salary or the, the entry-level worker. You see, I'm sure your reaction is, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous to these examples. But this is the trajectory that Jesus is taking us, Okay. And I got to kind of warn you about that so that you, you'll be ready for this and really think about, as the title of the sermon goes, do I really understand and have I really received God's grace? And this is something that he wants us to have, to know, to believe that we could be forever grateful when we think of this parable and the grace that this parable points to. So much so, uh, we didn't hit on it last week, but at the end of last week's passage, uh, Jesus ends with this phrase. He's, I think, said at least once before, and he's about to say it twice in the same instant. And he says, but many who are first will be last. And many who are last first. And Jesus is trying to get us to think. He is speaking in some abstract terms, but he's trying to get us to understand that the kingdom of heaven, if you believe in life after this life, as you should, that there is a God and that there is a good life forever with him and there is a life of eternal wrath under his uh, punishment 
Jesus wants us to understand the way to enter the kingdom of heaven to be on the good side is something reversed. Now the disciples, they gasped and they were greatly astonished at Jesus giving this teaching and the teaching before about the rich young man and they gasped, who then can be saved? Because even in the disciples' minds and I believe that probably the majority of us, even Christians sitting here today uh, in these pews and, and listening, watching from home, what is natural to us is to want to perform and to uh, just be awarded based on merit. The disciples, that's why they gasped, because they thought this rich man, even in their culture, they believed that riches were a sign of God's favor. And here's this rich man as well who sincerely was trying to obey God's law and had a, a deep conversation with Jesus about which laws that he needs to perform and obey in order to inherit eternal life. See, the disciples were on the performance track, and that's why they're confused. Who then can be saved? And so Jesus, he uh, ends last week's passage, which really is the same conversation as this week's passage, just continuing And the story is a continuation of what we saw last week. And Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And so my hope and prayer is that uh, as we work through this passage, that there will be something stirred in your heart that cries out to God by faith, Lord, keep transforming my performance-based life by your undeserved grace. Again, I know this is something that we hear often, but no surprise, because that's what the gospel is all about. And this is something we need to keep coming back to. Don't ever, Christian today listening, don't ever have the arrogance that you figured grace out. And there are greater depths to our hearts that grace needs to um, just flow to and transform. And so, Let's ask the question, how does Jesus want us to be transformed by his undeserved grace? That's what we're going to see. Jesus is going to draw that out so clear that it's an undeserved grace. And so the first big idea that I hope you'll see with me in the, in the passage is that Christ's undeserved grace first transforms our work. Where do we see this? Well, we pick up verse 30 of chapter 19, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Remember, here is someone that Jesus, Jesus is making a statement about someone who worked really hard. He was a rich young man. He was working hard religiously and trying to obey commands of God. And so here's someone who thought that he could get into heaven. He asked Jesus, what good must I do? So certainly about his work, his performance, his merit. But now Jesus to explain that, no, that's not how it works. He now tells a story, a parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like, so Jesus is comparing. Put on your analogy hats. Put on your metaphor hats. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. And this master represents God, the Father, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And so there it is. Jesus, he sets the the narrative, the framework of his little story here as work. And so we can understand this on one level as just history at the dawn of time. And it is right in line with uh, the story of Genesis and creation because God himself works. He works for six days. He creates the universe. 
On the seventh day, he rests, and then he creates Adam and Eve to also work. Work that was just imagined. I know it's hard to imagine, but a work that is 100% satisfying. A work that is fruitful and joyful. And work that almost feels like rest itself. That's how wonderful work was before sin entered and tainted. And so early in the morning, this master goes to hire laborers, workers, for his vineyard. And there, the, the metaphor of work being the vineyard. Jesus doesn't say uh, a sweatshop. Jesus doesn't say uh, just a smog-filled factory and, and assembly line. But he has this beautiful image, this rustic picture, this, this sun uh, you know, glowing and a vineyard. And where the fruit of this vineyard is a, just a celebratory, full of life, wine. And so this is a picture that Jesus sets out. It's a picture of work. And so he wants us to understand. He, he wants us to be in the front, a mindset of work. And so what does the master of the house do? He goes out early in the morning to the marketplace. And it's not too uh, dissimilar from a culture shock I had. I lived a year uh, for a year in California in my 20s. And it was culture shock for me that every morning I saw, and just calling it what it is, okay, just telling it like it is, um, please don't read any, you know, just negative things into uh, just me recounting my experience. But a lot of Hispanics, Hispanic men on street corners. And I was so confused, like, I've never seen this. And so I began to ask my friends who grew up there, and they began to explain a lot of them are even illegal immigrants, and they're what we call day laborers. And so they wait for someone to pick them up for work just for that day. And that's how they make it through life. And Jesus, what he says here, the picture he paints is not too dissimilar. You have to understand that the people who would go into the marketplace and look to be hired were people who didn't own their own farms, who didn't own their own vineyards. And it was those people who were uh, just less to do. And so the master goes and really right from there, just to want to uh, create more economy, to provide a livelihood for these people, there's already a little picture of generosity. Now, here again, we need to already ask, do I see myself in this story? Jesus tells these parables all the time so that we could somehow see ourselves in his gospel story. And right off the bat, you need to test your heart. Am I willing to see myself as someone in need? Someone who needs redeeming. Someone who needs to be uh, just given purpose and a means to, to have some sense of um, cultivation and building something, doing something good with my life. Do I see myself as this day laborer? And for probably a lot of us, it's hard to emotionally have the humility to see ourselves like that. No, I've worked hard. I, I'm where I am in life because I've worked hard. I, I don't see myself in need of work that way. And yet, the big picture, what I think Jesus is making a point of by using this narrative of work is to say, in life, we all need the work of our life redeemed. Even our literal jobs, our day-to-day -day work, at home, at the office, as students, whatever it may be, all our work, the entire work of life, the relational work, the emotional work, the, the, the physical work, the mental work, 
our entire work needs to be redeemed. We need to be hired by this good master to restore the meaningfulness. Well, the second big point that I hope you'll see with me is this. this. I hope you'll see this idea that Christ's undeserved grace, it transforms our worth. So the first invitation, and I think that the story is trying to draw us into is, I want God to redeem the entire work of my life. But also, I want to be redeemed in my worth. Where do we see this? Picking up in verse 3, the master goes out again at about the third hour, which was 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. The first hour uh, for Matthew's listeners was sunrise, which is typically around 6 a.m. The third hour was 9 a.m. And the master of the house sees others just standing idly by. And he hires them, go into my vineyard. And he says here, in terms of compensation, whatever is right, I will give you. Okay, speaking about compensation. And Matthew continues to describe uh, the story. Jesus continues the story. So they went, and the master of house goes out again at the sixth hour, which was 12 p.m., the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and even up to the 11th hour, which was 5 p.m., one hour before sunset, one hour before the workday ended. And this was, the listeners would have understood this. This is during harvest time where uh, the master of the house needs more workers. But the understanding as well is the later it gets, it's probably the people who had less to offer, who either, A, didn't have the skills that were needed, they weren't competent enough, or they didn't have the drive to put themselves out there and get the attention of uh, the master of the house who would hire. And so there is uh, just a, a natural progression of, okay, you know, getting sort of the bottom of the barrel as the day goes on in terms of the quality of work. And yet, this master, the heart that Jesus is trying to create here of the master is he wants as many to be a part of the joy of his vineyard and working towards something good and celebratory and to bring as many, no matter their competency, as many as he can to the very end. Now, from a time perspective, uh, just a historical perspective, um, the earlier workers, you could understand, the commentators uh, seem to all agree that this is God's people, Israel. They're the ones that God chose early on. And they've been working the hardest in some sense to, to follow God, to obey his commands to honor the Mosaic law, and on and on. But, and those who are hired towards the end are those now outside of Jesus' ethnic people that God longs to bring in from all over the world, every culture, every ethnicity. But also just on a spiritual level, this, at least for me, it strikes a chord in my heart because it makes me think of just as I've been walking with Christ for a certain number of years, and I think of people either who left the faith or who um, maybe aren't interested in the faith, people who might just enter in the kingdom in that 11th hour. Might be, I might, there, there's something that strikes a chord in me, if I'm honest, but I've been walking with Jesus longer than these people. And I'm saying that because in my heart, that sets up sort of 
an expectation of God. That's where we come to the third big point. How does Jesus want us to be transformed by his undeserved grace? Christ's undeserved grace, it transforms our wage. Okay, our wage. Uh, It transforms our sense of what is owed us. So let me ask first, concretely, not speaking metaphorically, abstractly, just literal, everyday, real life. What is your desired compensation in life? Okay, think of your workplace. What's your desired compensation? Uh, Maybe for some of us, as we're going through the pandemic and whatnot, for the government to help us more. Maybe it's to get a fair share of the company bonus. Maybe it's to have your family established in the right postal code, to live a materially good life, to have happy relationships, uh, to be respected, affirmed, acknowledged, validated, promoted, to have job satisfaction beyond financial compensation, knowing that what you're actually adding value, uh, what you're doing is adding value to this world. Maybe it's uh, to not have to work and the ability to live a comfortable retirement. Now, I have to admit, confess, I ask this as a bit of a trick question. Uh, But before we get to the trick, what's in common with all these forms of compensation that I shared with you is that it's for this life. It's for this life, okay? Actually, that was the trick. Sorry, lost my train of thought. That's the trick. I asked about this life, and what we should not forget is that in Jesus telling the story, because he is going to get to speaking about wages, Jesus is explaining who will have eternal life. And so we shouldn't just be thinking about compensation on this earth, but we should be thinking along the point of Jesus telling the story about eternal life. Now, what's in common with all these types of compensation in life, uh, when I think about it, I think pretty much what we all want is fair input-output, right? Whatever we input, we want just a fair compensation for that. And one other ingredient, we want plenty. I I, I would argue, and I wouldn't be surprised that most people, that that's what they want. As long as it's fair, it's fair input, output, and I can build it up. I can have plenty. As we continue on in the passage then, evening comes, and the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages. There it is. Jesus, continuing on this theme of work, he gets to paying the wages, the fair compensation. But now Jesus begins to turn it on ahead. And this is so far so good. Actually, listeners would probably have been confused. Why is the master of the house continuing to hire up to the 11th hour? And why would he want to get the bottom of the barrel in terms of skill and competency? And now Jesus begins to turn it upside down even more. Beginning with the last. That wouldn't have been normal. He would have paid the top dogs first, the highly skilled ones first, the ones that had worked the longest first. But instead, he tells his foreman to pay beginning with the last up to the first. 
now as the last are watching. And they see that the first got paid a day's wage. That's what a denarius is. It was basically a day's wage. And these people who had only worked one hour also got paid an entire day's wage. If I'm there and I start working from 6 a.m., my mind's turning quickly. It's like, okay, wow, this master of the house, that means I'm going to get paid 12 times a day's wage because this guy is getting paid a day's wage for the hour. And I'm starting to just lick my chops. My eyes are getting big. But when it comes to the first workers, it says in verse 10, now those hired first came. They thought they would receive more. But each of them also received just the day's wage, a denarius. All the listeners of Matthew and readers and probably you and I today as well, we're hearing this and we're thinking the exact same thing, that they should receive more. Is this fair? So let's ask right off the bat, is this fair? Now, sadly, and Jesus is trying to make a point, that there are many Christians today, perhaps even you today, and throughout church history, you either subconsciously or intentionally, just right out, mistakenly believe that God owes you more, will bless you more, more or less based on your performance. And so their complaint, they grumble. The last, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us. Equal to us. Debated whether to just try to draw this to economic theories out there. And I'm not going to go there. But some people in history have actually used this passage to argue for certain economic theories. And it sounds like certain economic theories. But that's not the point. It's not. But nevertheless, in terms of eternal realities, here's something that Jesus is getting us to radically rethink. It's hard for us to accept this. This, on the surface, does not seem fair. So let me ask you the question. A question that all of us need to answer. What is fair compensation? What fair compensation do you think God owes you? What fair comp? If you could stand before God and you actually had the right to say, God, I demand this from you, and he would give it to you. What do you think would be fair? Matthew Henry says so pointedly and truthfully, but God is no debtor to man. In fact, God is the one person who has only given, 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 given. God is no debtor to man. And in fact, the truth is, and what Jesus is trying to get at, is don't you for a second think that you could do anything to actually be found right before God. See, what the first worker forgot is that God didn't, the master of the house, who is God, didn't have to hire them in the first place. He didn't even have to bring him into the goodness of enjoying in all the, the, the fruitfulness of his vineyard. 
And yet we see here, so God, what he chooses to do is to compensate everyone equally, no matter how much they've worked. And so what does this mean? What does God give equally? What does God give equally? See, if, if, if God, actually not if he had a chance, in fact, he does tell us very clearly through Paul. The answer to this question, what fair compensation do you think God owes us? It's what Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages, the wages, what we actually are owed, the wages of sin is death. Physical death and eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so what does God give equally? He's made everyone equal. And what does it mean that he's given equally? As we continue on in the passage, but he replied, the master of the house, to one of the earlier workers, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge, do you resent my generosity? And so key words here. Jesus repeats it twice to describe the character of God. God chooses. He didn't have to choose and bring these people into his glorious work in the first place. And so they are forgetting, A, that they were first outsiders in the first place, that God didn't have to give them good work in the first place. And B, Jesus is now. He is all the more, I just see it as we go through Matthews, all the more starting to talk about grace. Starting to talk about the ideas of grace. Grace being an undeserved loving kindness from God. Receiving this free gift of God's undeserved loving kindness. And so God choosing them here is his sheer grace. What the disciples don't get, what the earlier workers don't get, is this idea of grace. I love how one commentator puts it. Now answer this. Why did God ever choose you? Why did he choose me? Honestly, why? Why? What do we have that he needs? Intellect? Do we honestly think for one minute that we have or ever will have a thought he hasn't had? Willpower? Now I can respect that. Some of us are stubborn enough to walk on water if we feel called to do so. But to think God's kingdom would have done a belly up without our determination? Or how about money? Perhaps we came into the kingdom. We, when we placed faith in God, we had a little, nice little nest egg. And perhaps that's why God accepted us and chose us. As if we could add to his resources. Now, here's the rub. Here's the rub. Let me try to corner some of us, myself included. Are there people you think who don't deserve God's grace in your life? Are there people you think they don't deserve God's grace? And if I'm completely honest, on my, on my bad days, I have that list. 
And I've forgotten that I didn't have to be chosen and experience God's grace in the first place. Are there people that you feel like giving up on? Then you've forgotten grace. The honest confession in that moment has to be, I have forgotten. I've lost sight of God's grace. The rich young ruler, the rich young man, that this story is a follow-up to Jesus' exchange with the rich young man. Will you be happy to see him in heaven? We get there, really believe he is a real person in history, and, and Jesus comes and, and we see him there. Will you be happy? Will you be happy that perhaps he didn't get it in that moment? But perhaps he got it later on after he saw Christ crucified and realized he's, Jesus is the true rich young man who gave up everything for him. We say that we're saved by grace, but you don't want another person to be saved by that same grace. They have to earn their salvation. They have to be good enough. They have to believe the right doctrines or, or do this and that and so forth. Say that because Jesus, like you have to get it. You have to understand Jesus' disciples, they were completely confused. This was completely illogical to them. That's how just, just mind-blowing this was. But it begins to make sense and come back next week because this is where I see Jesus totally building up this whole, just more and more trying to describe grace and what it's going to cost for God's grace to be afforded to people who place faith in Christ. Jesus is going to speak to his crucifixion, his resurrection. What did God ultimately choose to give? He chose to give Jesus. That's what we're paid for. What, how does God pay equally? See, when we realize that we didn't even deserve to be brought into the goodness of God, then no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, no matter how you, you know, whether you're part of the people of Israel and you have their ethnic blood in you or not, you realize how God has paid us equally is by his grace in Christ. And so I, I hope, I hope every time you remember this story, I hope every time, and that's why Lent is a great season to just all the more go deeper into this, to have grace just invade the depths of our hearts and to rework our affections. I hope that you will just always be just floored, just flabbergasted, just overwhelmed that God has saved you. That God chose you and all this because of Christ and only because of Christ. So Lord, keep transforming my performance-based life by your undeserved grace.